Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with Amelia Symington Fetty. Amelia is an award winning radio host, a storyteller, and theater artist, and she has a new audiobook memoir called Trying to Be Good The Healing Powers of Lying, Cheating, Stealing, and Doing Drugs. It's about mothers and daughters, daughters and fathers, growing up poor in the bush in Canada, teenage sexuality breakups with friends and with lovers, birthing, parenthood, and finally, of course, I suppose, death and grief. It really is an odyssey, and it really is a very richly produced audio. I must say this, though, trigger warning, content warning, both for this episode and for the book. This episode features explicit language and sexuality. Life is traumatic. And and I could totally relate to several chapters in this book. And sometimes I wanted to run or at the very least press fast forward. Not the chapters so much about drug use because that's never been my jam, but the parts about sexual assault and just the, the challenges of being a young person for sure. There's good stuff too. There is a somewhat redemptive narrative arc here, But uh, I definitely had some questions for Amelia by the time I got to the end. So, Amelia, what identities do you lead with? From the top of my mind, the words that are coming are rebel, shameless agitator, heartfelt Truth seeker <laughs> <laughs> with emphasis uh, and intensity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, with your uh, <laughs> memoir, it's called Trying to Be Good and the Healing Power of Lying, Cheating, Stealing, and Drugs. Um, it's this podcast memoir about seeking happiness at all costs, a self help addiction. And when life breaks you for good. So I had the pleasure of listening to the 20 chapters while I was traveling. And you're really practicing this extreme vulnerability. Yeah. Where are you? Or, or is, is this, I had to wonder, you know, is this another layer of protection where you've just laid out a minefield of vulnerability and so nobody can really kind of call you on it or question you because it's, I mean, this is very challenging material and yeah. it's, you know, you lived it. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I was really struggling with that as a listener going, wow, this is extremely vulnerable or is it? Fascinating question. Amazing question. Um, so first thing is as a performer, um, as an artist, I need to be slightly in control to be professional of my story. Right. So as I'm speaking, as I'm telling the story, no, I'm not in the middle of the grief. There is a performative quality 
and the quality is natural because I'm a good performer, hopefully, but there is a sense of control. I am not losing my marbles in time with you. Mm -hmm. I've processed this. I've processed this pain. I've processed this um, grief. I've processed this ridiculousness. Now, was it hard for me to do? Was it vulnerable? Absolutely. Um, the fear, the greatest fear I had in putting this into the world was people are going to write me off and just call me crazy. Mm. They're not going to go deeper and see what my intention is, is that I may have done some ridiculous things, but I have self-awareness. I've learned. And what have I become now through the ridiculousness and now through sharing the ridiculousness? So it took, yes, it took great vulnerability um, and terror to share these stories that are just like, I agree with you. Like my, what I've heard people say is like, in I love you, I'm in love with you. And then 30 seconds later, I hate you. Like mm -hmm. I, you, you flip back and forth sometimes between, and, and that for me is humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a human being. It, it, we're so complex. And so for me to share that part of myself that is so complex, that could be so effed up, that could be so hurtful to really speak that truthfully and then to try and figure out for myself why I did it. Um, yeah, that is, that, that is pure vulnerability. Now, like you said, if I say it first, you can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't hurt me. And, and that, I think, is okay. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's okay to say that. Like, as a performer, as a person who my job in the world is I put my personal life into the public eye to be judged, noticed, excited by, whatever. Um, so, yeah, of, of course um, you're going to have your, your relationship to it. And I've got to be strong enough standing on my feet grounded going, I did it. I, mm -hmm. I admit it. I honor it. And I, and I forgive myself for it. Right. I appreciate that you, um, brought up intention, uh, because I do want to circle back to intention and impact. And so, but first, just to kind of give people some context here. So, uh, you know, it, I have some uh, uh, recognition in a very narrow niche of the internet for being somebody who likes to tell it like it is and, you know, appreciates um, disclosure and transparency and honesty and all that. But here's some notes that I made uh, on some of the chapters. Uh, clap for the princess. I think that's like chapter two. Uh, my note was, so that was uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> stand by me. So that chafed. That was, that, that chafed literally and metaphorically. Like I was like, I am having a psychosomatic response of discomfort here. Um, the art of exaggeration. So that was horrifying, <laughs> totally horrifying. And the Australian performance artist, that was squirmy. So <laughs> you had me squirming and uncomfortable yeah. and it was fascinating. 
But it did, as I sort of came into the more tender parts, it was a little less shocking and just a little, you know, there was deeper emotional resonance in the middle and, and, and uh, third part. Yeah. You know, I was thinking as a mother, you get into the challenges and the realities of motherhood. Um, I'd say you've presented us with some new challenges to grapple with. And, and I was reminded of, you know, um, from the time I was about 12, when I would challenge my mother to tell me the truth, I just want you to tell me the truth. And she would do this thing where she'd like sigh and look up at the heavens and say, oh, how much do you burden your child? And then she'd go ahead and burden me, I guess, to find out. And we, as we discover now, I'm at the age of 42. We've been estranged for about 10 years. I think her judgment was a little off. And so I'm curious, you have, uh, you have children now. And so how are you preparing for the impact this memoir will have on your children? Maybe it kind of already shows up with your husband or with some of the characters, Roger, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if his name was <laughs> to protect the innocent or what, but it's like, you know, there's, there's this intention to really empathize with people who are struggling, you know? And, and when you say like lying, cheating, stealing, doing drugs, you're being very literal. <laughs> and so it's not just like a sex, drugs and rock and roll thing. And so there's a deep desire clearly to empathize with people who are challenging and struggling in dark places. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be an impact on all of the other characters. We'll talk about your girlfriends later, but I, or maybe now, but um, how are you managing that right now? (laughs) People reading this and hearing this. Well, do you mean, when you talk about my children in specific, do you mean, say they're 15 years old? And they care enough to listen to their mother's memoir, which is actually, I think, quite low. Yeah, quite Bruce Springsteen is like, nobody wants to see their dad up on stage with a stadium of people, like none of them. But, but you yeah. know, it, it's, at some point, people are going to be like, wow, have you listened to your mom's memoir? Like, you yeah. know, get curious, right? And do you mean the stuff about like how my struggle of learning to be a mom and my discomfort with pregnancy and my discomfort with bonding? Is that what you mean? Sure. Like, well, yeah, some of friends. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, the, um, the drugs and pregnancy and just all, like, you know, just the stuff of, you're not just ambivalent when you talk about getting yeah. pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm in terror and, and yeah. horror and I, you know, swim with cosmic dolphins to try and get rid of it. And I do, you know, the we bring down the grid. So the psychic consciousness of, you know, like, it's just. Hey, I, are you saying this? Are you saying this in a, in a, um, are you being sincere when, when you're doing that? Or is there a bit of satire, even as you're saying that to me? It's no, hard to tell, Amelia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a great question. And, and this is one of the reasons why I made an audio book rather than a uh, written book. Because mm. I think that breath and um, truth and um, pause can share the truth of what I'm actually meaning. Now I am a satirist at heart. Like I do believe in, I pull, I, what I do politically is I poke fun at myself and I point at my imperfections um, so that the audience can then laugh, be angry, judge me, whatever, and then go home and go, okay, how can I personally relate to that? So okay, that, so that, that's very clarifying for me, but I'm sorry to cut you off, but the, this is, you're clarifying my actual question. So that's for the audience. Yes. And yet 
your children are not your audience. Your partner is not your audience. So how do you, as an artist, I guess that's the question, not as a mother, maybe so much, but as an artist, Mm -hmm. how are you walking that fine line of of that impact? It's such a, it's such a great and, and important and necessary question. So from the day that my children have started to ask me about um, my mother um, I have been very candid with them about the pain of losing her. And they, they, since I was, they were babies, they've seen me in bed crying and missing her and, and grieving her. Um, it's very part of our lives. They say, I miss my Nana Jay. I wish I got to know her. And I, and we all have a little cry about that. That that's a common occurrence. Now for me to then say when they're 14 and they've listened to my memoir or whatever, yeah, that was an example of the grief I was in and the trauma I was in. And I actually want you to know about what was happening when you were in utero, because that could be affecting them subconsciously, psychically, that could have an effect on them. And I want them to know that I know that, and Mm -hmm. that I'm sorry about that, and that I did my very best with that. And that me speaking about it publicly is to free other women from the shame of that and that we truly are doing our best and it may not be perfect, but this might be why you might have a penchant for pills, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Or this might be why you feel angry or something because when you were in mom's tummy, this is what was going on for mom. Like the most profound grief I've ever felt in my life was happening when you were growing inside me. And let's be honest about that so that we can heal that um, Mm -hmm. together. And let me say, I'm sorry. Let me apologize um, and own it, you know? And, and so I feel like for right now, it's to help moms with what I think is, you know, a lot of truth and reality around pregnancy and childbirth is that it's, you know, hell on earth for a lot of people, but they're not allowed to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then for later, it's for my kids to it's an apology it's a I was imperfect but it's also which is so cool I turned it into something important Mm. I turned the pain into something useful and I want you to do that too I want your life to be following your greatest passion at all costs even though you're scared it might hurt someone doing it anyway. That's what I want for you, son. Mm, I really appreciate you um, receiving my question. And I can tell that, you, you know, your answer sincere. I can hear and sense and just feel that um, the apology and the sincerity of like, this could actually be impacting you. And so here's the story. It's funny for the audience, but you obviously have a different relationship with your children and your partner where, you know, the mask comes off. Um, And I, you know, as a person who does a lot of work with the epigenetics of trauma, you know, that we can be born into the world kind of feeling like there's a monkey on our back. And, and, um, and I do think there's a, a, a lot of children who come in feeling, uh, the, the, the sort of echoes, the, the, the colors, tones, and textures of sexual trauma and can't always quite figure out what that is. And uh, your book is coming out right in this um, kind of backlash time from the Me Too 
movement. I don't know if you could call it a movement, but just the um, upsurge, the emergence of clarity. And, and so I have to say um, that uh, chapter, I guess it was the um, stand by me. Mm-hmm. It, it was extremely uh, graphic and uncomfortable for me because this was so sort of typical of small town Canada, you know, like, and probably anywhere in North America. This is just how uh, 14-year-old girls grow up in a patriarchal misogynist culture and how 14, 15, 25, 30-year-old boys and young men learn how to um, uh, relate sexually with women. It was so sad to hear you talk with such vivid clarity about the mundaneness mm-hmm. of sexual assault um, and, and rape. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how this all fits. Where do you, where are you at with that conversation? Cause you, you open it up and say, so this is what happened. Uh, it led me to radical feminism, but I don't know that the line is totally directly drawn <laughs> or at least it is. And then you have some pretty challenging experiences uh, sort of grappling with like, what is my feminism about exactly? And so where are you with that today in terms of owning your story and wanting to empathize? But what, where, what do we do with this information? Um, I can tell you exactly where I'm at. My husband and I yesterday um, had a sex therapist appointment for three hours where we were doing some energetic healing around sexual trauma. Mm. So I am 40 years old and I am actively trying to heal my body and my psyche from sexual trauma that happened when I was 13 through to 25. Mm -hmm. And here I am with a partner who is willing to go on that journey with me and take responsibility for his sexual trauma and jiggle our bodies and breathe and and do this, all the weird stuff that you got to, you know, like Mm -hmm. all that stuff we're doing it. We're actively healing at age 40 so that we married couple can have a fun, light, healing sex life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, me too. 40, right? 42, 47. Right. And doing all the stuff that I, I'm not even a goddess circles person, yeah. but the somatic stuff, you know, I, I, I want to chime in only because I want to slow down and just like let people hear that, yeah, it's ongoing and it involves partnership, but you know, it's like unpacking the misogyny and patriarchy from a marriage is fucking grueling and it's a daily thing, right? And and you need you need witness from people outside the marriage. So I'm really um, grateful that you're willing to share with everybody that you're seeing a sex therapist and you're doing all the things. So are we. Yeah. we. We each have our own therapist that does somatic stuff. And then we have a, a couple therapists that does emotional uh, focused therapy, like, you know, and, and we share it to make it socially normalized that every marriage has to just, you know, unhook the patriarchy from it. So thank you for mentioning that. What else do you want to say about that? Well, I mean, just to name that, you know, 
in finding a mate that I feel safe with that isn't going to leave me because I don't fuck him properly or whatever. Um, am I allowed to say the F-bomb? Yeah, I was going to say, I just said to my husband two months ago, fuck blowjobs and fuck you wanting them, even though I've been fine with them my whole life, right? right? Just something right. came up recently where I was like, fuck that. Like, and you know, it'll pass. No, but this will have lots of trigger warnings. But yes, you can swear. Go ahead. Okay. So um, what what on God's yeah. earth was I even saying? Yeah, I was saying, where are you Okay. To find someone who's willing to, you know, hold space and be patient and loving and go and, and take responsibility and go through this with me. Um, it's this patient, patient process of literally relearning about my intuition, what my body is saying, no, yes, being able, how scary is it for me? Okay, I am a radical feminist, highly educated performance artist, okay? I have lain naked on a stage with 400 people gazing over my body. I have, I mean, I've done it, right? And yet to tell my partner, um, could you go a bit slower is terrifying to me. Mm. To just speak, just to say, um, could we just stop for a minute is terrifying for me. Now, mm. isn't that fascinating, right? Mm. So I'm learning. I feel like I'm a young girl. I feel like I'm 14 again. And I'm now learning how to say what I wish I could have said all back then. And, it's, you know, and so the back then, the story I tell, and it's from the chapter Stand By Me, which is because I always wanted a Stand By Me movie for girls. Like, yeah. I feel like that's missing from our world, the, mm-hmm. the journey, you know, of that dark quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's visceral and uncomfortable because it's true. And I, I used language that was very gross and um, dis- And very 14-year-old. Like, I was like, yeah. whoa, I, nobody's talked like that since I was 14. Right. And like, yes. whoa, did I ever not want to go back there? <laughs> and I forgot. And yeah. I intentionally used that language because it is so raw and it is so violent. And yet we don't, we didn't at the time recognize it as violence. And so it's an example of this. I, I'm uncomfortable listening to it too. I'm grossed out. I'm like, could you just like turn down the volume on that? For me, that's where um, the, I, I, that you get the feeling of the violence um, because I'm not talking about how, you know, he smashed my face or this. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about that physical violence because at the time I, I didn't know what was happening to me was even violence. I just, mm-hmm. you know, got sexually assaulted and went to school the next day and was like, hey, dude. And then, yeah, exactly. And then next month it was Same some thing. other dude. Yeah. yeah. It's like, up yeah, until, you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Up until like, I mean, I, I started enjoying sex when I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, ooh, that is really sad. Really, really, really weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but not uncommon. It's very ordinary, isn't it? Sad and ordinary. how ordinary it is. Yeah. 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 And then it, and that with our partners, we're now learning to uh, you know, with with the good, kind people who are working it through with us, um we're slowly reclaiming and um and and that might mean um saying, no, I can't have penetration for a while. That might mean, you know, I just need to breathe with you and have you look in my eyes for a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's lots of, I'm learning that sex 
is so much. Mm-hmm. And well, removing penetration from it, it really does free me up a lot as well. Mm, that's really good to hear. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of experimentation <laughs> as well. So I appreciate that really specific um, message for women who are not feeling like they can ask that or say that. Um, now, as the story goes on, you, you do talk a lot about what, what I would sort of step back and say um, more clinically or in my therapeutic helper role, I'd say, wow, these are a lot of um, hyperactivated attachment behaviors <laughs> on Amelia's <laughs> part. <laughs> and and um, I will be honest with you, I was so done with Roger in like one chapter and he kept showing up yes, yes. and ultimately to the detriment of your relationships with women. And I was so crushed. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember which friend said this to you, but who was like, you're like the addict and I keep getting you clean and you keep going back and I'm just not doing this anymore. And I just, and, and I've so identified with her that I felt sad when you know, you, you went through your period of going like, that's not what friendship is. And how did they dump me? And I was like, Amelia, you know, friendship is you have, you, he keeps coming up. Fuck. Get his name out of your mouth. This is where I was coming from the whole time. And so I'm still left hoping, uh, that there's been more reconnection or some healing of that, or that there's been some come around with your circle of female friends. Um, Because ultimately, thank goodness, Roger disappears. uh, And you find yourself with a lovely man and a lovely family and somebody who can like, you can work through this with and you're telling us about, please bring me up to speed on what's happening and what you learned or, or, or anything that's, that's come around, hopefully that's positive with your female friendships. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was so terrified of being alone, of not being loved that I was willing to do anything for it. And that meant, um, traveling, uh, across the world to the jungles of Vanuatu. And, uh, it, it meant, um, being a a sexual plaything toy. It meant ignoring God's messages that were loud and clear, you know, for years, because I was, I would rather be with someone than be alone. I was so scared of being alone. And of course, ironically, I had this circle of women around me, an actual women's group, that, and we were committed to each other for over a decade. That wasn't good enough because they just loved me for who I was. That's not good enough, right? That Charlie Chaplin quote, I'd, I'd never want to go to a party that I was invited to. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so these women... The, the friendship slowly um, disintegrated because I was choosing this abusive relationship and they were getting tired of it. They also disintegrated because there's the transition um, from, you know, maiden into mother. Mm-hmm. And when the maidens and the mothers sometimes don't match up, they go their separate ways for a while. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my, these women in this women's group were having kids and I wasn't, I was, living in Vanuatu or I was, you know, getting demon extractions or I was trying to, you know, trying to find all this meaning and purpose and they were making a life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. There was a, there was a, a, a division. And with one particular friend, it was a complete breakup and it, 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 it shocked me that women could 
friendships could end. I didn't know that. So now cut to um, 15 years later. I might have a little cry about this. Um, Mm. That woman, that particular woman on my book launch showed up an hour early and helped me set up and cut the pie and served the drinks. And that woman hugged and kissed me and said how proud she was. That woman who worked a 10 hour day and who has, you know, PTSD from stuff showed up and helped me with a celebration of my greatest creation to date. That woman stayed till everyone was gone and helped me pack up the chairs. That relationship is so deep. And and, And what it took was the breath, the letting it go. We're not on the same path right now. We don't get each other right now. I'm a mess right now. You're a mess right now. We're not able. We, we, okay. What woman goes to counseling with her friend to try and work it through? That's Mm -hmm. how committed we were, right? We went to a mediation to try and work through our problems and we couldn't. We just had to separate. And 15 years later, we have saunas together. I buy her a Christmas present. She comes over when she can. She comes over when, when she's got the time. Do we see each other very often? No, but our love is so deep and so strong. And now, I would say, impenetrable. Hmm. I'm glad you guys both had that. Yeah. It felt important you know, maybe I, there's some kind of, I don't know, something that comes after maybe in, in your uh, book tour, you get to tell that story. Cause I'm sure there are a lot of women worried like what, <laughs> but, but you know, and, and um, it's true. Friendships can fade and, and, and be okay. But I just wanted everything to be okay. Cause I could understand both sides so well. So I'm glad that it's, um, that it's okay. Yeah. And I, I just want to say one, like my, my, my most, like, I believe feminist friendship. I believe female friendship is a feminist act Mm -hmm. and I believe sticking to it and devoting yourself to it at all costs is a huge, huge, like, um, act of resistance Mm -hmm. and who is going to get you through your struggles with your, partner or your children or your job or your this it is the women right mm-hmm. and so for me you know I am dedicated to that as a political act and as a way to keep myself on a low dose of meds <laughs> <laughs> to keep my sisters close mm-hmm. you know it's for my own sake and I also believe it's for the sake of the world and 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 so another theme in this book is lo- mother love woman love mm-hmm. you know the regret I have that I didn't honor my mother the way I should have mm-hmm. that I didn't know until it was too late the power she held I'm so I'm so sorry about that mm-hmm. and and I feel like I never want to do that again to another woman you know the most important woman in my life didn't get the gratitude she deserved Mm. And so now I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it all, all the time Mm. as a, as a, as a, you know, prayer for her. Mm -hmm. And that's a political act everybody can participate in. 
whether you feel political or not, because it's true. It is it is a radical undoing of patriarchal divisiveness and uh, isolation, right? That hurts everyone. I really would like to um, parlay this now into uh, what I found actually to be one of the most interesting conversations really for me it felt like a conversation was the uh chapter called academy of dreams <laughs> and so let's talk about uh feminist entrepreneurship spiritual capitalism spiritual materialism and personal branding uh so this chapter is about you uh, still in the context of a self-help addiction trying to grow your career and finding this really lush slick upbeat online marketing course for women who, you know, want to make the world a better place with their business. Uh, if they're like an online or I guess bricks and mortar business. So I'm familiar with some of these kinds of programs, Amelia. <laughs> I know lots of my listeners and my friends and my colleagues, but I actually, my soul circle that I meet with my group of six, six of us women, we meet every two weeks and we're not, we didn't grow up together. We, you know, we came together through an online grow your business thing. And we, none of us finished the course, but we're still friends four years later, still meeting every two weeks. But we found there were some problems with that model. And especially as a person like myself, who's sort of um, pretty critical of how we're going to, uh, how we're going to do this whole late stage capitalism thing. Well, you know, in terms of grieving it and facing it and dealing with it, I found some problems with <laughs> the instruction. I'm curious how, you, what you came out of it with, how you actually do then grow your brand and your platform because you are a performer and you write your own material. So you have to have platform you have to sort of increase your reach or all that stuff but but does your feminist self kind of writhe like how how are you grappling with this idea of needing to be a public person you're you're an actor so you want the attention but on the other hand you're you're feminist you're political you don't want people to have to feel like shit in order to buy your shit you know, <laughs> so what do you do? Where are you at with this? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's uh, the bane of my existence. I mean, the longing for every human, correct me if I'm wrong, but is to put your soul out there and then have reciprocation, you know, have it be met and matched. And it would be nice if that was met and matched monetarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so rent can be paid. Now, I have a difference. Uh, I have a difference of opinion in what monetary amount is reasonable. I truly believe. Um, I have. I really have no interest whatsoever in being incredibly rich. I, I think it's actually gluttonous, and I don't think it's going to help the planet. I think it's here, here. causing damage to the planet. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us should be gluttonously rich. I'm. I'm open rich. to like. You know what? I'll throw out a number, 200 grand a year. Perfect. I, you know what? If for, I could, for a family? That's for my great. family. If my family could make 200 grand a year and 
doing what I love, my soul's purpose, holy mother, well, that would rule. Well, like that would be amazing. That means I could have financial stability in terms of my home. I could never be kicked out of my home. That means I could buy cheese anytime I wanted to buy cheese. That means I could put my kids in hockey if they wanted to do that. And that means that I could go on a vacation with my friends once a year and recharge. That's really it, right? I mean, anything else I feel is a bit uh, uh, getting into um, just a bit much. Okay, so uh, that's my belief system about kind of capitalism. I, I, I'm not interested in being a enterprise, okay? So I also am online. I put my stuff online. This is how I try to reach more people. For 15 years, I toured nationally and internationally as a live performer. I still do that. You know, you reach 250 people a night. It's wonderful. But the longing was, I want to get more people faster. I want to connect with more women faster. And so, yeah, okay, what do you do about that? How do you do that? So I started taking, of course, all the courses, how to grow your business, webinars, seminars, telesummits, masterminds. I did it all. Um, I, I spent a ridiculous amount of money I became actually quite addicted to this search of more, more, more. It's never enough. Um, and I mean, even for example, at my book launch, that was a few days ago, I honestly, my dearest friends in the room, a beautiful celebration. We ate organic, gluten-free, raw, vegan pie. Like it was amazing. And I actually felt a sensation of lack at the end. Hmm. I felt a sensation of there's, it wasn't enough. Mm. And when I felt that, I went, holy shit. This is, a, this, this is the perfect example. Hold this in your heart forever, Amelia. Your entire community gathers to rally, support, and love you. And your feeling is lack. Mm. Okay. So the addiction is alive and well. It is mm. strong. And that, to me, is when, how we can name the addiction is when the constant feeling inside is that of lack. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the reaching out, the constant scraping and clamoring to get more, more, more rather than, and it, it's so trite and tropism to say, but like if I could learn to just enjoy this right now, like, I don't know what's going to happen with this book. I don't know if a hundred people are going to buy it. I don't know if I'm going to make my money back. I don't know anything. I don't know if five years of my heart and soul into the world is going to reach anyone, but I did my calling. I did what goddess asked me to do. I followed it and I completed it. And that's enough. And do you, can you feel that? Let's just slow down because it's like, yeah, it's very tender what you're saying that you have a receiving problem. <laughs> you know, your people are there loving you and it's still kind of behind that wall of invulnerability, right? And so just kind of letting it in, it's like 
you're, you're even the way you're sort of talking to yourself about like Amelia, what does it matter with you? You don't need to remember this. It's like, I want to say Amelia, this is so beautiful. Like let's just take in a teaspoon more of your entire community rallied around you in this beautiful bubble of love at your most transparent, your most real and they said, we love you and we're going to protect you and we're delighting in your existence. And, and this little part of you, that's like, you call it in the book, the whole, right? You've made friends. This is my whole. It's like, I want to, I want to sort of go back to little, um, princess Amelia, who was like coming up the stairs and everybody was clapping for the princess. I want that moment to just slow down and have it be enough in that moment. And that to me is the problem with what returning to your question of <laughs> spiritual capitalism that mm. to me, in the Academy of dreams and in the, um, the searching for, to fill the hole, this feeling of lack I have, I'm not going to blame myself for it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not my fault. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to lie in bed and like breathe the beautiful pink crystal energy. (laughs) I'm going to do that every day. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate at my altar. I'm going to do what I can, but every single time I click every single time I, I, I try to get more subscribers. I try and um, reach out and, and class more, more, more. I'm feeding the hole. I'm feeding the addiction. (laughs) And what I feel angry about is that there is a multi-billion dollar industry that is capitalizing on my longing. Mm -hmm. And it's your spiritual longing, your longing for belonging. And guess what? The entire system is made on disconnecting you and continuing to make you feel like you're one step behind, one level lower, you know, one door outside the inner circle. And it's fucked up it's capitalism you can't marry these two things that we have a scale problem here yeah it's also it's a patriarchal system that i'm Mm -hmm. I'm investing in as well and the only thing and i have been doing this for seven years in terms of the blogosphere online thing i have been making live theater for 20 i have dedicated my life to basically personal storytelling that's what i do as my act of resistance right telling my own personal imperfections publicly so we can laugh about it and then we can kind of take some of that home or whatever the hell we want to do with it so um the only way i've made money off this is through one-on-one deep meaningful relationships Mm-hmm. That's the only way. It has never been through a course. It has never been through getting more Instagram followers. It has never been through any of that bullshit that I'm on the toilet trying to friend people, hoping they friend me back. Right. Rest out to the max, blah, blah, blah. No. Do you want to know how it happens? My friend says, Oh my God, I listened to your book. I think it's amazing. I happen to have a friend that works at Audible. He's an editor. I'm going to get him to put it on staff picks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That It's mm-hmm. the direct love. It's mm-hmm. women supporting each other going, I believe in you and I want to help you. That's the only way I've ever made a cent. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, how do we do it 
well? Who does it well? This is like, go ahead and shout out personally if you want, but the people like, so I'm so with you. The, um, a, a few years ago, I shifted my model to be like, you know what? I'm only, I can only handle 500 people on my list on my subscriber list. So anybody who hasn't opened 80% in the last year, I'm just going to unsubscribe them. So I unsubscribed like a couple thousand people. And that's what I do now is like, it's a really good purge, but also it means that this is kind of the scale energetically of magic I can handle with the internet. And then I do the podcast, which is one way broadcasting. I don't take comments. I don't do all that kind of stuff. It's like, I want people to feel like a fly on the wall and feel less alone. But if you want to be in relationship with me, then like we're in relationship and we keep it pretty tight. Right. So I'm, and I've been working in the last little while with like, if I were bringing in an attachment theory perspective to my marketing, how would things change? And it does take quite a long time to get sincerely into that, but we're still seekers. Right. And so I find it harder and harder to find people that I fucking care about. Like, I'm just like, yeah, no, you're, you're, yeah, you're doing great shit. But like, I just, yeah, no, I don't want to be friends and I don't want to be a snob, but it's like, I don't, want your stuff and I'm yes. not that interested. And I, I, I'm at my, I, it's beyond my scale. Right. But we're still seekers. We still want to find people that are, are, are part of our clinical alliance, part of our spiritual alliance, part of our people, right. Fellowship. So is there anyone that, that you know of out there who's like kind of doing it well, or like, how do you discern, okay, this person is more of a spiritual capitalist and this person I actually trust with my soul. Okay. Like, what do you notice? What, what are some business tips we can give to <laughs> folks here? I mean, honestly, it's, it, it, it's the people that have been doing it for 40 or 50 years and have never quit. Elders, who, have yeah. who have constantly are continuously studying who marry art and science, you know, who marry the practice and education of, you know, breath work and, you know, energetic systems and also the pop culture world of, you know, wear pink. I don't know, whatever. (laughs) It's It's the people who have the really old shitty websites that don't (laughs) give the care to get them updated because they don't have the time because they're too busy working on their own practice. Mm. there's few of these people. There's not many of them. Um, Mm. One of them, her name is Minka DeVoe. She is a a kind of master in female sexual energy. Um, She's a woman who lives in Vancouver who does no self-promotion, anything. And she's a world-renowned master teacher that I happen to come across, that I happen to really appreciate and learn from. She also keeps her costs very reasonable. That's another clue for me. Um, Reasonable charging. Um, You know, you can go to a sex therapist, for example, for probably $500 an hour. Um, And, or you go to Mika and she's like, uh, gives you two hours instead of the hour she said, and it's 120. It's like, she's just doing it because she feels called to do it and the bills are being paid and she wants to be of service. These are all notes and highlights to me of that she's in full and deep integrity with um, her training. Mm -hmm. And that's what I look forward to being, you know? Um, Also when um, you're being sought out rather than you're seeking, like um, a teacher... um, I think a really strong teacher I would be attracted to 
isn't going to be selling the shit out of themselves online very often. Like they're like, I'll, my, my students will come to me. Like the yoga teachers that I've studied with, like they have no online presence. Like Mm -hmm. they're just really damn good at it because they've practiced their whole lives. This is what I hope to be in terms of a performer or an artist or a storyteller. Um, that that's the longing right now the struggle is that in this online entrepreneurial world you do have to find a way to play the game with integrity you have to kind of I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I mean I went to your website and it was beautiful and I've seen you know people post Instagram pictures of your workbook and it's beautiful and that kind of aesthetic is attracting, it attracts me. You have never reached out to me, right? You've never reached out to me. I found you. I was pulled to you through you sitting, doing your thing, what works for you. I got pulled into you. That's awesome. That's what I want. That's what I think is sexy and powerful. That's who I want to learn from, right? When I'm I'm sucked into your vortex of power. <laughs> I'm sucked into your small and delicious life where you like talking about your flowers. Yeah, it's I'm with you though. I'm I'm the same. Like I I I I'm very wary of approach behaviors and that's my own recovering avoidant <laughs> sort of person. But I, I'm, and, and I've done it. Don't get me wrong. I've been to the women's networking things. I've done lots of talking on stage, all of that. What I've realized is, uh, you know, my, it, the best thing is when somebody says, Hey, will you give a talk at this conference? And oh. only if I can talk about whatever I want and for as long as I want. And then I come up with some, some kind of spoken essay Mm -hmm. and I get to bring out a piece of my body of work Mm -hmm. and it's taken several years. You can't do it in eight weeks in an online course. You can't bring forth a body of work that you're partner has to fucking heal through and you have to work out, well, how does this apply in my parenting? And do I really want to work with these or what, what, how do I want to work? You can't work that out in, in public without saying, actually, this is messy. I'm not really sure it's subject to change and go out and make these big promises. I also love what you said about, um, pricing, right? That's a really tricky thing. Uh, but when I see, one of the litmus tests for me is like, I don't really want to, I'm not going to charge more than my teacher. Yeah. What the hell? So I kind of look at what my mentor charges and I'm like, I'm going to come in right under there. <laughs> you know, like I pay, you know, to, to have her as a clinical supervisor. So I feel like, okay, well that costs me some money, but I'm not going to charge more than my teacher. Yeah. And so um, I want to give a shout out to also Judy G who was one of my early intuition teachers. Nobody in North America has ever heard about her. She does like breath work integration stuff, a lot of kind of tantric things. Um, but honestly, she, she is just a kind of a badass woman of a certain age, Australian who's lived in France for 40 years and is just doing her thing. 
you know, and she makes me like, yeah, it's like, wow, I cannot wait to be a crone. I've been gunning for 50 (laughs) since I was 30. And so, you know, yeah, shout out to all those people working away and, and the bills are being paid. That's important because there's going to be a bunch of people who are like, yeah, but if she gives all that money or all that time, she's not charging what she's worth. And yada, yada, yada. Right. But again, like let's unpack the capitalism and that and the patriarchy in that. Cause it's like, no, of course we need to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to have equal access to um, economic leverage, of course, but let's be realistic people. Come on. Like this hyper luxurious spiritual service and treatment shit is just the worst kind of capitalist blah. Yeah, it's a life for me. It's a life practice. You know, my art making, my gift to the world is a is my life practice, and it 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 shows up in the work I make for people. It shows up in um, when I sweep the floor. It shows up in um, trying to be kind to my husband. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's my life work, and um, all I can ask for and hope for. Um, what I long for is reciprocation in that, you know, the universe going, good job, Em, you're on the right track. I like what you're doing. So here's some feedback that's reciprocal that keeps your energy flowing, right? Hmm. Like just keep the energy flowing so I can feel good about like, um, I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing. I'm getting some thumbs up from, you know, some people, some energies. I'm getting some thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's, that's all I can ask for. And, and sometimes I don't get the thumbs up and I got to keep trucking along, but like, you know, in general, um, give me some, give me some thumbs up that I know I'm on the right path, but the thumbs up just might not be a whole shit ton of money. It just might not be that. And that means, you know, I rent and I don't buy really expensive clothes and, or I just like kind of buy secondhand. Mm-hmm. It means, um, we eat, you know, healthy proteins that we've soaked. Um, (laughs) there are choices that I make for my family so I can live my dream, my passion, Mm -hmm. my purpose, my family. We have all decided that living your passion and purpose is the most important brings me and, and my family, the greatest, um, you know, peace of mind and, and feeling excellent about ourselves. And there is sacrifice there. We don't eat big uh, dinners out. We don't, we're not big drinkers. We, I don't drink at all. Like I don't live an exorbitant lifestyle, but guess what? I go to work every day and it feels so damn useful. Mm -hmm. And meaningful work is actually one of the most important uh, health outcome indicators, like for depression, for, you know, how are we going to cope with this, you know, uh, the the collective dilemmas we have as a culture? One of them is actually making sure people have meaningful work. So being able to fully express that way. So here's a question then, as we're sort of starting to wrap up, what do you hope for your memoir, trying to be good, how, as you bless this into the world, how how would you like this to unfold? Or you know, maybe you're just releasing it, but like, what's next then? Um. Oh, I love talking really uh, bravely and candidly about about my dreams. I um 
it terrifies me. Um, I would love this to reach women. I would love women, the, the, you know, the, the women that have connected with me so far about it, just say, oh, me too, me too, me too. That, that was my story. I felt you. I hated you. I loved you. I felt you. Thank you. Um, uh, so that, uh, that feminist connection, that feminist act of reaching other women, um, as many as possible from everywhere as possible. Um, I have a dream that stand by me becomes a movie. Mm. I have a dream that there is a movie made one day about six girls on the railroad tracks that are innocent before the male gaze Mm -hmm. before they cared, loving each other, playing, smoking, drinking slushes, kicking the stones down the tracks, talking about life. Mm -hmm. And then the fallout of that. And when the innocence is broken and, that to me is a story that has not been told. I want that story told. Me too. Yeah. This I is the new me too. I want that story told. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and then I also, um, you know, the, so the story ends with me in just a moment of being present, just a moment. I can feel it all. I can hold the death of my mother and the birth of my son and I'm not high. <laughs> I'm not stoned. I'm present. I'm not online trying to find some course on how to grieve properly. I'm just present in my body and I'm feeling my feelings. My goal was by the time I turned 40 was to be able to feel my feelings mm. without pushing them down, crunching them away, setting them aside. So so there's this brief moment where I, I get that. Um, I feel it all. And I would like if there is momentum and excitement and interest and passion, and if it is in the zeitgeist, well, then what happens next? The, the next book about the f- fallout of having to learn to feel your feelings. <laughs> I know. I love that. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm like so loving now that I'm feeling all my feelings. Right. Let's, let's talk then about, here's my last question. Cause anybody who listens to the show is like, Oh good. Now that she's feeling all her feelings, we want to hear how do you now express and manage and cope with feelings like grief and rage? I go into my bedroom and I light a candle and I have a duvet that uh, my, breast, my best friend gave me. She just um, got in remission from breast cancer this year. And it was the duvet that she healed under mm. and she gave it to me. And I wrap myself up in the duvet and I put a stone on my chest that mm. my mother gave me. And I cocoon and I'm in the darkness and I feel And I just breathe and I try and open my chest and I'm alone. And that for me is the key. I'm alone in it with it. And I call in as my four-year-old son says, mother God, Mm. I call in mother God. And I say, please help me feel these feelings and get through these feelings and 
be able to get up in 15 minutes so I can make dinner. And I just, I, with the stone on my chest and the duvet around me and the light and the request of Mother God, the deep breath comes and the tension and the anxiety, just tiny, tiny, tiny bits of it, just filter down low enough so I'm not at the extreme terror zone where I want to fall down. And then it turns into a little bit of comfort. The sensation turns into a bit of warmth. And then it becomes very hard to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> you go from like that hyper aroused, like, ah, and then like, bam, hypo aroused. I'm yeah, just like, repair. I'm just going to sleep for a hundred years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. a lot like the recovery process, right? Like, so you're perfectly describing this is a process, and here you're tracking all of these little um, beautiful moments of difference and change. And ultimately, it sounds like, well, what I feel when I'm hearing you describe it is a feeling of inner coherence, right? Like, yeah, that's what it's like when it's working. <laughs> so it's not, my teacher would say, it's not comfortable, but it's no. uncomfortable in a good direction. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah like getting, get, getting comfortable with discomfort, getting that I'm not going to die. This mm. discomfort isn't going to kill me. Mm. Okay. And you know what? I have to tell you, Carmen, I was doing it the other day. I couldn't do it without my kids because they were on me. <laughs> I had two children, a three-year-old and a four-year-old on my back, naked, trying to put their assholes into my face. They were trying to smush their butts into my face. I covered myself with a duvet. I wrapped myself in it. I lied on my stomach. I deep breathed while they jumped on me when I was having this total overwhelm. And it still worked. Mm. It still worked. I was able to do it in the chaos of these little hellions nice. <laughs> and, and I was like yeah this is this is good that that was that was smart I wish I I should have like uh Instagrammed that that would have been a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is good thank you so much Amelia for uh sharing and going even deeper than you already do in your um memoir trying to be good it sounds like you're succeeding thanks so much for being on the show thank you Carmen We are nothing if not candid on this show, my friends. (laughs) You can purchase Amelia's audio memoir on iTunes and read her humorous and unflinchingly honest articles on her blog, tryingtobegood.com. I'll have those links in the show notes, and I'll also provide the websites for our two beloved mentors mentioned in this episode, Minka DeVos and Judy G. Much love and thanks to them for their lifetimes of work. On this show, I'd like to thank all my listeners living in Prince Edward Island, Canada. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to visit your beautiful shores one day. I haven't yet, but I feel some kinship to you since we're both on islands at the outer edges of Canada. Thank you very much for spending time with myself today. And finally, just a heads up that deposits are due April 1st to come on Quest with me during the full moon in June 2018. You can now place your deposit online and learn all the details on my website under the Retreats tab. Just go to carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.